Good evening, Drico. Glad to have you back with me again. Uh, another show on a Wednesday. Uh, been been switching up the schedule a little bit the last two weeks. Uh, we just had some conflicts on Tuesday nights, but uh, next week we will be back to our usual time slot on Tuesday. So don't worry, everyone. We won't be messing with your uh, weekly viewing and content consumption routine. Uh, this was a, I mean, I say it every week, uh, another kind of wild week. I mean, Justin Fields, Anthony Richardson is officially done for the season now. Justin Fields uh, dislocates his thumb. And, you know, that's because he's a rushing quarterback. It's uh, it's more likely, actually, that you dislocate your thumb if you're a rushing quarterback, all those miles you put on the thumb. He, he'll never be able to hold a football again. No, no. What yeah, he's, probably, probably his career is over. Um, I, I kid, but uh, I mean, another week, another shakeup of the fantasy football landscape. Uh, I feel like with a season with this much chaos, and I, I think that we can officially say at this point, there's been a little, I mean, every season is chaotic. That's the nature of the game that we play. That's the nature of football, the, the sport in general. But I, I feel like we dialed the chaos up to 11 for this season, just with all the injuries that we've had. I mean, Miko Hardman is back to the Chiefs now. How? I mean, shit. We've had two trades this season where a team had gotten rid of a player and then traded for them back afterwards. We had J.C. Jackson going from the Chargers back to the Patriots in a trade, and then we had Miko Hardman going from the Jets back to the Chiefs. I feel that just seems so wild to me. I I don't know the last. I I, I have a hard time understanding it as well. Uh, <laughs> Just because, why didn't they just pay him the money in the first place? Um, now, I know he's got a signing bonus that they won't have to pay, but it's still structured to hit. It's still st it's structured to spread out over, uh, I think, like five years or something. like. So they're, they're still assuming that the cap hit. Unless they're really stingy about actual cash payouts, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, one thing, just uh, while you were talking about like the maximum chaos, it, did feel, it does feel like, We've gotten very chaotic scenarios in lots of different ways where you've, you've got the injuries, yes, but then we've also had these late-round breakouts at what seems like a much higher uh, uh, frequency or rate than before, where you've had Kyron, uh, you had Puka, Nakua, even uh, Rashid Shahid has been a pretty good hit. Like... It feels like you're getting a couple of different uh, ways of chaos, and, and and definitely has been uh, hard to hard to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think at this point in the fantasy season, what we can do to best take advantage of these situations is just really try and parse through the data, think critically about what it's telling us, um, and just try to try to have that you know leg up on our opponents and. Uh, just maybe get to the correct conclusions uh, one beat quicker than they can. And there's a couple really interesting things that I saw when I was putting together the charts this week that I think are going to lead to some actionable uh, advantages for people. So excited to get into the charts here. All right. And not going to get a better uh, segue than that. So let's, uh, let's jump right into it. Was um, So before, uh, before I ask you, what, were there any quarterback-related takes there? Just to explain this chart, uh, on the vertical axis, you've got touchdown rate, pretty straightforward. 
And then on a horizontal axis, you've got adjusted yards per attempt, which is pretty similar to yards per attempt, but it rewards touchdowns and punishes interceptions. So it, it has that adjustment just to, just to be a holistic measure of these uh, quarterbacks' efficiency per attempt. And then the size of the bubble corresponds to rushing yards per game. Good, good breakdown of the chart there. Uh, my my first thing that I saw when I was putting together this chart is that for the most part, there's not a difference at the quarterback position, right? And that was, uh, I want to say, like a core thesis or premise that I was drafting a lot of my best ball teams uh, surrounding this offseason that the difference at quarterback was being overblown um, and, and the market was pricing them. Like there were these. And what you're referring to here is we've just got this blob in the middle. Yeah, look at look like at the middle. And, and really, when I'm looking at it, like the TD rate stuff, like yes, there are some guys that are separating a TD rate. For most of those, I don't care too terribly much. I, I think a lot of the TD rate stuff is either going to be noisy or it could just be systemic in that the offense is just so much more likely to be rushing touchdowns and then throwing them, depending on how that specific offense for the specific quarterback uh, decides to run, especially when they get into the green zone. Um, but when you look at the adjusted yards per attempt, everyone is clustered there basically between like 6.5 and 7.5. And then you've got your couple outliers like your Tua's, your Brock Purdy, your Jared Goff, your Josh Allen, um, and, and everyone else is basically the same. And then you've got your outliers on on the downside too, where Mac Jones, Daniel Jones, Zach Wilson, Joe Burrow, et cetera. So just a question for you here. Uh, CJ Stroud was somebody where we noted highly efficient yard, adjusted yardage, yardage per attempt, but not necessarily getting up there in the touchdown rate. Not bad on the touchdown rate, but not uh, in line with his yards. His touchdown rate is not an, is not as good as his yardage rate. Do you think that's a case where uh, it's sort of like the offensive scheme is keeping him out of the end zone or do you think that 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 still feels like to me potential further upside yeah and we we started to see it a little bit um you know number one his yardage did come down this week um but he did have a couple passing touchdowns um what what i think that it is is it's indicative of the fact that it gets a lot harder to have successful plays when the field shrinks and he's he's a rookie quarterback he's doing phenomenal i mean cj stroud is you know favorite for offensive rookie of the year as he should be he's, he's crushing i'm very excited to watch him you know and, and see how his career plays out but i just think that as a rookie you're asking so much to say like okay and now i need you to go be successful and convert at a high rate in the red zone that's just a difficult that's a big ask you know and so I think it's something where we could see him improve as he continues to grow as a quarterback. And I also think it's something where even without any improvement, he probably had a little room for positive regression. And we did start to see that. We, we see him moving up a little bit on the chart. He was lower. Mm -hmm. I want to segue that into my big takeaway for this week. And a, a part of this is just the way that the main slate shakes out this week. Uh, you don't have Tua or the 49ers on the main slate. Um you know, so you're you're ending up with, uh, you, you know, Texans are on by a lot of a lot of good teams on by um, here in this week seven by. But you've got these quarterbacks of Josh Allen, Jared Goff, 
Lamar Jackson, Justin Herbert, kind of, you know, and, and Russell Wilson really in the good area of the chart that we're looking at is, okay, these might be the guys that are, are leading the charge. Uh, Pat Mahomes, obviously leading the charge this week at quarterback. And the one that I'm most interested in is Lamar Jackson. Uh, you, you see again, the size of his data point here representing his rushing yards per game. And I, I really love the spot for him because he's playing against a competent offense in Detroit, where when they're pushed, Detroit's willing to throw the ball. When when they're beating the pants off teams, they'll they'll turn and, and run it and just grind the game out with their lead happily. But I think that if you get a couple explosive plays and both of these teams are capable of delivering them, you could end up in a really fun spot where Lamar's got the absolute slate breaking upside. And when you have these smaller slates with fewer guys, basically fewer darts to try and hit those absolute nuclear weeks, I really like the guys who have a slightly higher probability of, of achieving those outcomes. So really like Lamar for this week. He was popping I, for me on the chart. And so Lamar is something, is it probably a good example of where we are looking for positive regression in a big way, just because in a very obvious way, you had you had all these touchdown passes that he threw that were just dropped, horribly dropped. And that is obviously inefficient, and, and, and some of it must be because of mistakes by the players and whatever. But it's a, that's also a huge variance thing. Like, his pass catchers just aren't going to drop every touchdown pass every week. So if, uh, if we get it, it, like, that feels like an area where – it's really not hard to see a big like um, correction. Yeah, a- absolutely. So that's that's one reason why I'm so excited about Lamar. Uh, a guy on the chart who uh, this is going to be his Viking funeral week. Anthony Richardson mentioned it earlier, but officially done for the season, having season-ending surgery. But he was right there with Lamar in that uh, you know rushing quarterback with the upside to truly break fantasy football really bummed feel like I just feel like this happens every year with these guys, you know, Trey Lance first Trey Lance. We didn't even get to see games. Anthony Richardson. We at least got to see like, okay, this guy's legit. Um, but to, to keep going on the chart for stuff that's actionable that we can actually uh, use to gain an advantage over our opponents going forward. Uh, the, the Jordan love spot is interesting uh, because we had talked about, you know, the Broncos as a, a salve and, his his chart partner or his his neighbor there, Justin Fields, we saw get right against the Broncos a couple weeks ago and throw for almost 350 yards, a couple touchdowns. I think it, it almost feels too easy sometimes when we're like, oh, Broncos, easy matchup. You know, the quarterback on the other side is a smash spot for them. But I think there are times where we just overthink stuff as fantasy football players and we we try to make it trickier than it is. And it's like, Sure, there's going to be times where Jordan Love doesn't succeed in this matchup against the Broncos, but there's also a good chunk of times where he just goes out and smashes because this defense has proven that they're not great, right? And so, and and one thing, one thing that may uh, uh, make people forget is that the the Broncos defense actually had a relatively good week against the Chiefs, so that 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 probably puts the weeks where they're just getting absolutely hammered. And in the rearview mirror a bit, but like th- those are still like extremely valid uh, data points. 
Yeah, I mean, the recency bias of, oh, they did well against the Chiefs, so now they are good, I think is, you know, we, we want to take that data into consideration and say, okay, they showed that they're at least able to stop some stuff, but, you know, the Chiefs, the Chiefs aren't rolling out some plethora of excellent weapons against them either. You know, it's, it's just pretty much like, okay, can Mahomes put the team on his back? You know, can Kelsey put the team on his back? Um, and and will Pacheco right. go crazy on the and ground? And defenses so. don't have to be horrible every week either. Right. Like, they can be a bad defense and then have occasional weeks where they're okay. Just, like, for the Giants, for example. Like, you're, you're telling me that the Giants, with what they did to the Bills – that's going to be at all sticky going forward. I, I don't buy that. We've seen the Giants get absolutely dog walked every week and uh, out outside of what they did against the Bills. Um, I think that may have been, you know, not to get too down the uh, the narrative rabbit hole, but it may have just been, a, you know, Brian Dayball against his former team, knowing a little bit of the secret sauce and the, the weak spots in the armor for Josh Allen. But, I mean. So the, let the me other- ask, just, just to go back to uh, Jordan Love. Because I just had the thought in terms of being actionable, and um, with this being a week with a lot of buys, and and not everybody has an elite quarterback in their sort of home league or, or redraft leagues, do you think Jordan Love is is a good starting option in uh, off the waivers? Oh yeah, absolutely. You could absolutely do worse. You know that that would certainly be a, a streamer. I'd be happy to roll out there. Another one that. Just looking at early projections out in the industry for uh, for quarterback and receiver numbers, uh, a spot that's going, I think, underlooked right now, by the time that we get to Sunday, it'll be corrected. But right now, uh, people are really undervaluing Tampa Bay, uh, just in general, the entire offense is being undervalued. And yes, they're playing Atlanta. And if Atlanta has their way, they slow the game down. They run lots of plays. They have extended drives with a lot of runs. But the last couple of weeks, Atlanta's been throwing a lot. Uh, so they, they've shown that they're willing to throw. And so I think that there are outs to this game, maybe not being, you know, not the highest scoring game on the slate, but definitely a viable game for fantasy. And, you know, Baker Mayfield is certainly on your waiver wire. And so if you're in a pinch, you probably could do worse than Baker as well. And I, I think that, you know, with the way that that passing game is concentrated on, it's pretty much Evans and Godwin and and that's it. I really like that. I've actually I haven't been drafting the dog bowl at all. Uh, the, you know, the qualifier to go to the live draft uh, in Miami for underdog. I haven't drafted that at all up until this week. They had a decent promo that kind of softened the uh, really steep rake that they, uh, charge on that contest. And so I've been ripping off a bunch of dog bowls uh, today and yesterday, and I might have a lot of Baker Mayfield. Interesting. Uh, just because the, especially because it's half PPR and you can just, you can more or less just pick one and um, book the stack with him and pr- probably think that you're going to, if, if he goes off, it has to go through one of them in a big, big sub- substantial way. And the the price is just wrong. Like you're getting you're getting Chris Godwin in like the late. It's a twelve man draft in the dog bowl, unlike the six okay. man battle royales. And so you're getting Chris Godwin in like the fourth, like late fourth round. Sometimes sometimes as late as the fifth. And so it's just not the price is is very incorrect. Like I know that Zay Flowers is sexy, um, and that it's really fun to take Zay Flowers and stack him with Lamar Jackson. 
like you're not Chris Godwin in half PPR projects better than Zay Flowers straight up by by not like a small amount either by a couple points and people take Flowers two three rounds earlier than Godwin so there's there's some really big inefficiencies this week I've noticed right and then the other thing as well especially in a twelve teamer um and then with the bye weeks and stuff like that it is much easier for a quarterback like Baker Mayfield to hit the ceiling they need in that situation than it is on a big, huge slate with all, like all the heavy hitters on it. Like that, yeah. that sort of say that it's a lot easier to, uh, to take something like someone like Baker Mayfield. And if he scores 30 points, like maybe it's not the highest scoring quarterback of the week, but it, it, it may be, and it may like be within very, very close touching distance of the, the highest scoring quarterback. Absolutely. It's just about like how much separation does another quarterback get from him? And it's kind of funny. I've actually been looking at this on reduced slate sizes specifically for playoff best ball. I'm working on a, uh, a pretty comprehensive playoff best ball piece right now that I'll have out in a couple weeks. Uh, so for anyone that is as sick as I am about playoff best ball. I think you'll be really interested in it. But one of the things I'm looking at is on reduced slate sizes. So for example, you know, week week one, you know, you only got a handful of quarterbacks playing. It's only 12 quarterbacks playing. It's six games, right? Uh, and so when we're looking at those kinds of slates, what what do the position distributions really look like from a scoring perspective? And really what it comes down to is when there's only one, maybe two elite quarterback options on the week, sometimes instead of paying up for that quarterback, like for example, Lamar Jackson, I, I would say that a great way to attack this slate might be, I'm either going to get Lamar or Mahomes or Allen, or I'm just going to take the very last quarterback in the draft. Cause there's no, there's no point. Right. I'm basically there's saying, no point paying up for the mid range when the yeah. separation is likely to be quite small. Yep. I, I'm just saying that, hey, if I don't get one of those three guys, they failed to separate anyway. And so then I'm taking a guy that's a random dart throw to to score enough to not get separated from. And all of those guys are basically the same, you know, like Russell Wilson goes undrafted in a lot of those drafts. And there's no actual difference between Russell Wilson and Jordan Love, really, you know, especially if you look at projection, they're the same. They're like, right. I mean, just by the numbers, Russell Wilson has played really well. Just yeah, just by the numbers, and I I know I brought it up on this um this chart before that this is a chart that favors Russell Wilson, but I was looking at, at some numbers where you you factor in the dropback instead of the attempt, so that includes sacks, scrambles, blah blah blah, and he's still he's still having a pretty good year, even even if you make if you look at it on adjusted yards per dropback instead of uh, attempt. Yeah, I, I certainly think that we could we could get a stretch where Russ gets hot and the Denver offense kind of gets their stuff together with Sean Payton. Uh, for right now, there's still a lot going through the running backs. Um, but yeah, it's it's well within Russ's range of outcomes to have, you know, one of those top scoring weeks at quarterback. And so this is this is the kind of week where, hey, if I don't get one of those top guys, let me just roll Russell Wilson or Baker Mayfield or you know some someone out there that Matt Stafford shoot. They all, they're all basically the same, you know, it's just statue pocket passers. Right. Well, I think he has Russell Wilson has been rushing a little bit, 
That's not true. not enough to like truly put him up there. But he has added points. Yeah, he he's added you know 20, 30 yards a game, uh, sometimes a little bit more. But yeah, that's a that's a good point. So uh, no other major takeaways on this chart. I mean, we've got uh, likely Trevor Lawrence is going to miss the Thursday game. It sounds like um, I haven't seen anything that suggests he's going to actually be able to play. Uh, so yeah, it's probably, it's just probably going to be a, a relatively low scoring week at quarterback, unless we get one of those elite guys to, uh, to actually go off. So interesting week for quarterback. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I'm, I'm happy to move on as well. Uh, and then I have to like every week shrink the chart a little bit so we can fit it in, uh, in our screen. And so this is, this is our one of our our main uh, running back charts, one of our two running back charts, and we look as the title says, snaps and usage. So we look at all of their rush attempts, all of their routes, all of their pass blocking, run blocking, and and put that in a scale of that as a percentage of the team's overall plays. And so you can see Kyron Williams who unfortunately is is dealing with an injury that, that means he's going to be out for a little while he is coming in at just over just around 80 percent of the team snaps he's on the field and i guess you you want you you want rush attempts you also want them to be running routes so that they can get those targets and then this is sort of like the starters like anybody with a, above roots or rush attempts above 40% that they're on this chart. And we also look at rolling four weeks because we want to, we want to diagnose the trend rather than a seasonal average. And then, so, so that's the way this sort of chart is set up. Good breakdown there. Um, I think we do need to start at the top here um, with Kyron because his injury leaves the most desirable role for running back in the NFL wide open, and it's very ambiguous. So, you know, right now you've got rookie Zach Evans, who was the only running back left on the active roster on Sunday after you lost Kyron and Ronnie Rivers. And so Zach Evans got, I want to say it was uh, like, was it four carries or something on Sunday? Uh, He looks to be right now, uh, the reports that I've seen are that He's probably the favorite to get the majority of the work, but I think it's very fragile. I I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't bet so, a lot of money. Uh, the 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 Rams head coach was asked today, "Hey, is uh, do you think um, Zach Evans is the favorite to 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 carry the load here?" And the coach said, oh, "I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't say that." <laughs> He's got he's got a shot. I'm really looking forward to see how how far along he's come this week and what he can handle. So so it sounds like it's still very much in flux. He could I, I mean it's it's there is the, still the case of who else could it be? Like how 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 can they who can they put on the field to keep him off of it? But like you said, definitely feels like something where it could it could go either way. Yeah, I mean, it's Miles Gaskin or uh, Daryl Henderson, or, you know, it's right. It's going to be interesting to see what they end up rolling out there. 
I, I Miles Gaskin is he's a bit interesting in that when he played, especially his rookie year as a Dolphin, and then uh, the year after, he played relatively well. Like he was a he was a fine player, and 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 can perform, but he 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 also hasn't been able to get on the field in in a good while now. Yeah, that's a that's a good call out though, because I could definitely see Gaskin being the one that you know is, is able to do the job that it, right. it, it really seems like he values a running back that's going to do the things that are expected of him. And Gaskin kind of see he he comes from the Miami system. I think that uh, think he could be the kind of archetype that McVeigh is interested yeah. in. So really, really He's an all rounder. He's an all-rounder, and he does sort of like he does suit the sort of like one-cut jump uh, running style. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, is there anybody else up here who who sticks out? Yeah, here? I was. I was going to keep. We've got a couple guys at the top of the chart that are interesting to me. So Joe Mixon's role remains really good. Joe Mixon's production remains really bad. You've got the Bengals on by this week. I I start to wonder if during the buy they're able to take a look at some of the other guys that they've got on the roster and we see Joe Mixon because they've already told us we don't like using Joe Mixon in the passing game if there's a better option, right? Which Samaje P. Ryan, they determined was a better option than Mixon last season in the passing game. And so they even even when P Ryan was getting the passing game work, Mixon was still getting carries. I mean, in the the penultimate uh, playoff game, he he lost a lot of carries to P Ryan. But I do think that you're not going to see Mixon go away, but you could see one of these other guys emerge. My favorite for that is Travion, uh, just because he's managed to stick on the roster the whole time. I think that the Bengals value. Uh, a player like that, a player that they're comfortable with, familiar with, knows the system. So if I had to bet, it would be Travion comes out of the bye and maybe sees a little bit of extra work. I don't know. It's not going to so be anything with really that said, event. we shouldn't drop him in the main event tonight. <laughs> well, he, he is on bye and, and we, we're in desperate need of, you know, running back. So I'm I'm not opposed to churning if we have a yeah. No, that makes sense. That. Good good point. He is on buy. You can probably pick him up for a dollar next week as well. Right, right. Um, but beyond Mixon, uh, the other one up here. I mean, I I just have to talk about Etn and Jacobs really quickly. I don't think we need to dive too deep into it. But man, both of those guys have incredible roles. We'll we'll see as well on the expected fantasy points charts coming up. But those are the kind of backs that you want to have, even though Jacobs hasn't been terribly efficient with his, it doesn't matter. You just want that opportunity and you're just going to trust that a couple games, like he's still good enough that he'll have a couple games where he is efficient with that volume and is able to deliver a huge performance for you. And in those other performances where he's not efficient, it doesn't matter. His floor is so high because of the role ETN is, is being efficient and getting, a huge amount of work. He's consolidating the snaps. So those are both running backs that are really exciting to see. But Saquon Barkley got a lot of work coming back off the injury. I'm pretty concerned. I, I want to say that Saquon is closer to Joe Mixon in 
what he is for you in fantasy. Now that's a little bit of hyperbole. Like he's still more valuable than Mixon, obviously, but he's closer to Mixon than he is to Josh Jacobs, for example, is, is my opinion. I mean, certainly closer to Mixon than he is to Travis Etienne. I'd say those are, that's like a, a large tier break between Etienne and Barkley. So the, the hard part with Barkley is there's not really anything too actionable you can do here. It's not like you can go and pick up, you know, Matt Breida and say that he's going to get some work or like, oh, if Saquon gets re-injured, then Breida's going to have this great role. It's just the offense stinks and there's not a lot of production coming there. So that that's all I, I had there. Uh, kind of similar for Rashad White, you know, great role, just can't, can't produce anything with it. So we saw... Uh, we saw Sean Tucker get a little bit of opportunity early in the season. We saw them do a little bit with Keyshawn Vaughn. Maybe by the end of the season, one of those guys emerges as the better option than Rashad White. But I think the most likely outcome is the Bucks backfield is just one where it's not terribly exciting. There will be a week where the Bucks put up a lot of points and he falls into the end zone twice and is good just from the having the role. But there's a lot of guys up here with these great roles. Like this Rashad White, Joe Mixon, Saquon Barkley are all like fake to me. Like the role, the role looks more valuable than it actually is. Right. They, they, they command a high percentage of their team's usage, but the offense isn't strong enough to make them must elite targets. Whereas like they probably project for a mediocre amount of points just because they've consolidated all the offense within them. But you were paying high, definitely Saquon, you're paying, you paid a high price to get that uh, bell cow usage and, and, but you're not being uh, paid off in fantasy points. So one, uh, one, one thing that I had noticed and then thought worth calling out is that, um, Brees Hall, while he's, uh, I'm not sure if he's even on this chart, if he's on the next chart. He is. He's but, right below uh, Montgomery and Ford. Okay. Okay. So I I looked at just this week, and he was on the field for 68% of uh, the team snaps this just th- this week. And he was he had so 20% rush attempts. He'd already been getting the rush attempts. But he was also on uh, – he had 41% uh, of the the Jets' snaps he was running a route on. So definitely feels like Brees Hall, Balcow usage is like firmly back. And we and we talked about this before too. When when you're competing for touches from Dalvin Cooked and Michael Farter, like there's there's no real competition. It's just the only thing right. keeping him off the field is the team wanting to make sure that they're tr- they're doing right by him. They're not putting him at, at severe risk of re-injury. And, you know, when you, I, I want to say, was it week, after week three, he tweeted something like four, only four touches. He was pissed about his lack of work. And I, I think that the guy probably knows his body and, and he's a competitor. He wants to be on the field. So the team's trying to keep him safe from himself. But I think he probably knows, you know, dude, I, I don't, you don't need to limit me to four touches. And, it's becoming pretty clear too. I, I actually was well, watching the Jets play the Eagles this week. I said going into the half, when they come out of the half, 
it is going to be all Brees all the time because they want to win this game and they know what, like we, we have one path to win and it's not Zach Wilson throwing more, right? Like it is, yeah. it's feed Brees the rock. And that's, that is what they did. And, and then they did drop back some, but it was all to, it was like, we're dropping back and Zach, you only have eyes for Garrett Wilson. Don't fuck this up. Right. Okay? Throw it to Garrett or no one. And just keep the ball safe so that we can hand it to Brees more. And that's uh, that's what they did. And it was successful. And so I think what you're going to see is any time where you might lose Brees Hall opportunities would be if the Jets were like blowing someone out. If the Jets are blowing someone out, they will gladly bring in Dalvin and Michael Carter for cleanup duty um, and try and save Brees from putting too many miles on him. But in close games where the Jets want to win and boy, do the Jets want to win and do they need to win to stay alive in the AFC for the playoff hunt because the AFC is brutal. And Aaron Rodgers is rumored to be able to come back for the playoffs, which is right. just wild that, that, to me. That, that's why he's sort of suggested he, the timeline he's been given. And so just that, um, I guess in terms of usability, for Brees Hall, now for rest of the season, so week seven uh, through the end of the year, where where would you slot Brees Hall with, with among the other backs? Yeah, into my starting lineup is where I would slot him every week. <laughs> but yeah, right. among, what? among the other what? backs, I would say I, let's see, like I like him better than, the only, right now at this point in time, the only backs I'm happier to start over Brees Hall would be like a, Travis Etienne, CMC when healthy, Kenneth Walker. I want to start Brees over DeAndre Swift because um, Brees is getting more work in the passing. Swift is involved in the passing game, but Brees is getting more opportunity there. Uh, I, I want Brees over Saquon. I want him I want him over Kyron. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I want him over Eckler. I, I, that's, a, that's actually a curious one for me. How do you feel about Eckler going forward? And then how do you feel about him compared to Brees? So, Eckler himself, he, he's coming off an injury. He's coming off the high ankle sprain, um, and he did he did have a nice run, but didn't look fully healthy yet. So, I think that you, you'll have this sort of ramp up, back up to um, uh, him getting his normal snap amount. That I'm not, I'm not sure how many weeks that takes. It'll take a couple of weeks. But then by the end, uh, and not an injury uh, expert, but would think that like, hey, they 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 really like Eckler. Eckler is a superstar. So in a month, let's say, w- w- would be hope at least hoping that you're getting what you drafted Eckler in the first round to do. So uh, how how do how do I? There's not really a rest of season draft available today. How would I use that? I guess I would be. I, I, I'm pretty. I'd be pretty alert to um, as he ramps up, as he starts to look good, and, and and maybe trying to play him a week early. Once once I've got some more good signs in Eckler, um, would maybe uh, would maybe try to see if I can trade for him if he has a bad week as this week as he gets through injury, and then. Just to go back to Brees Hall, I think I would have him in line with Kenneth Walker 
or perhaps a bit higher, just because I'm looking at this trajectory of, hey, they, they've been ramping Brees up from injury, and obviously he looks fantastic, and he sort of crossed over the point into, like, now he's in, he now he once once we get four weeks that look like week six, he'll be cl- much closer to the to the top of this chart, and how do I say it? And it kind of in the workhorse range, and the things that you talked about with this competition being Dalvin Cook and Michael Carter, like they're still going to be true. So if anything, I'm sort of like still expecting more usage for Brees than even week six. So I think he's getting pretty close to the sort of like elite running back range rest of the year. Yep. Yeah. Couldn't, couldn't have said it better myself in, uh, in four weeks time. Uh, I guess, I guess five weeks time. Cause they're on by this week, but in five weeks time, he's going to be right between Bijan and Josh Jacobs on the chart. Like you can take that to the bank uh, for how many snaps he's getting snaps and usage right here. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Riddle me this. You're the Austin Eckler manager in a you know redraft league, and a trade offer comes into your DMs here, and it's Brees Hall for Austin Eckler straight up. What do you do? Brees Hall. Yeah. I guess I thought about that for 1.2 seconds. Yeah, and... you just you just took a beat, but that that's what I would do too. Like the only the only guy I'm not moving for Brees Hall is like Christian McCaffrey. And like, I, I think I'm moving ETN for him too. I'm probably, if I'm the guy selling ETN, I'm trying to get like a little Brees plus, you know, get a, get a little, yeah, yeah, yeah. Squeeze, squeeze some more juice out of how good ETN's been. But like as a Brees bowl, I'm trying to acquire all of the Brees. It's, it's literally just CSD. Right. And uh, I mean, shoot. Let's just, let's fast forward and say Aaron Rodgers is back for the playoffs. And his Achilles is is magically good. He's fine. He looks like Aaron Rodgers. Right. It's playoff best ball. And let's just say hypothetically that the odds of the 49ers making the Super Bowl and the odds of the Jets making the Super Bowl are exactly equal. Okay. And everyone's healthy. McCaffrey's healthy. Rodgers is healthy. Brees is healthy. Who are you taking earlier in playoff best ball? Then you're taking healthy CMC or healthy Brees with equal odds of either making the Super Bowl. So obviously it's not it, it's not going to be equal, right? Eh. Just just to just to make sure that we're we're coming yeah. up with like a <laughs> hypothetical scenario of all else equal between the 49ers and the Jets. Would you prefer CMC or Brees? I'm I think it would still be CMC, but. It wouldn't. It it, w- it wouldn't be as far apart as uh, it wouldn't be that far apart. Yeah, like, I I agree I, with you. If, if you're, we're probably a little bit too early to be thinking about playoff best ball, but he would definitely be somebody where you take them in the in the last round, and and you're you're really happy about Brees in the last round. Yeah, I, uh, I I agree with you, and I'm I'm very glad that the 49ers will be such large favorites over the Jets to uh, make it to the Super Bowl. So I. I don't have to uh, galaxy brain myself and think Brees all over CMC. So, so who else? I I I had another note about Devin Singletary. Yeah, and, that's a, that's and, and just to one. try and 
uh, I'm just trying to supplement. Obviously, we're looking at four week averages, but I try to look at like, hey, what what did the last week look like? Just because that can be, uh, you can you can spot quick changes there just by looking at, at one week. And and he was on the field for half the snaps for the Texans last week, which is pretty. I, I we talked about Devin Singletary quite a bit last week, but that's that's interesting. Like that's a legitimate like. 1A, 1B sort of committee. And if we're excited about the Texas offense, then I'm pretty excited about, I, I'm somewhat excited about cheap Devin Singletary. Devin Singletary. And yeah. Not not sure what, what the different ways, there's probably not going to be a rest, another rest of the season draft, but definitely sort of like a sneaky waiver pickup where you, you, can, you can play him. Get you through your bye weeks. We'll get you. We'll, we'll get you some points. Yeah, with, with upside for a decent week. And yeah, you you called that last week too that he was he was underpriced in uh, in the resurrection drafts. Damian Pierce is uh, supposedly dealing with a little bit of a knee injury, and so they are kind of taking it easy with him. But that's hey, it doesn't it doesn't matter how Devin Singletary is getting on the field. He's still he's getting on the field and he's getting snaps and work. So, yeah, I certainly view him as a, you know, if you're in a pinch and you need an NFL running back that gets snaps in an NFL offense, he checks those boxes. He, I mean, he does this. He does this every year, where it's like going into the season, the coach says. There's no way I'm going to play Devin Singletary this year. I can't rely on Devin Singletary this year. And then towards the end of the regular season, God damn it, I got to play Devin Singletary this week. And I, I don't – he must be one of those backs where he does enough, like, NFL professional-level things that they struggle to keep him off the field. Yeah, I, I would say that's probably a pretty good assessment. I mean, you – you just see it with some guys where they're, hey, they're able to stick on a roster or stick around in the league for way longer and they're way, way more resilient uh, than their talent level suggests, you know, than their raw athletic measurables suggest that they should be. And they beat out guys who are, you know, twice the athlete they are. Doesn't matter. They're, they just have, you know, whether it's their football IQ or their work ethic or whatever, you know. They, for Devin Singery, it's tackle evasion rate. <laughs> His uh, historically his broken tackle rate has been like really good, uh, and that that does seem to be something that coaches like as well. Uh, on the on this chart, uh, before we move on to the next one, the only other note I had was Tajay Spears. Uh, you know, he he didn't do much in the game against Baltimore. He did flash one big play uh, after Tannehill was out of the game. Uh, he took like a little dump off pass and you know, made, made a big play with it, uh, got the Titans down into the green zone uh, off of a big yards after catch. So he, he looks interesting. Um, he's definitely still worth a stash. He's on by right now. I, uh, I know I, I've seen a couple of people say he got dropped in their leagues. That's a guy that's, that's worth adding. Uh, it's, it's not, you know, not going to be a world beater or anything. I mean, shoot, even if Derrick Henry went down, you'd have a, a middling running back probably like with 10 expected fantasy points, 11 expected fantasy points a week or something in that range. Maybe, maybe I'm underselling it, but I, I, I suspect who knows, obviously, 
But they must. Re- I think the Titans really like Tajay Spears. They they do which, for sure. And, and that was that was the drumbeat coming out of camp this off season. And it's something where I've told myself this in the past and been like, I got to remember that. Like when teams say they really like a guy, like just trust them. They're not going to, they're <laughs> not going to really like a guy and get out there and say it for, you know, like teams say mm-hmm. positive stuff about guys, but every once in a while you do get the, we really like this guy report. And it's like, okay, right. that, for whatever reason there, there is a little the bit of the Porter report. Yes. There's, where, there's a like, little signal. Like, this is our starter love this in guy. week one of training camp. We fucking love this guy. Yeah. Oops, sorry, children. <laughs> but anyway, just uh, had to have that note on Tajay. Oh, and, and Chuba, I mean, also a guy on by. If he's getting dropped anywhere, that'd be a great pickup. Um, John, John to Foreman. Uh, all, all these guys at the bottom of the chart are actually kind of interesting. John to Foreman. Uh, it's looking, so Roshan didn't practice again. He's still not cleared through concussion protocol. And yeah. there is some data that I've seen historically on uh, running backs specifically coming back from concussion have a little bit of a larger dip in their production on average than other positions do. And so it could be interesting, you know, especially since it's taken this long for Roshan to get out of concussion protocol, maybe you do see Deontay take the majority of the work this week. And it's a week where they don't have, I mean, not that Justin Fields was lighting it up in the passing game, but you might see the Bears lean even more run heavy. So maybe it's nothing terribly efficient with the offense, but if you need a spot start, you could definitely do worse than Jonta Foreman this week. I think he could be in line for a lot of work. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Especially if Roshan, uh, hopefully Roshan, uh, his concussion uh, uh, clears up. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the right way to say it, but if not, then yeah, definitely feel good about starting Jonta Foreman. So, should we move on? Yeah, let's go to the backups chart. And on these, on the backups chart, there weren't a ton of guys um, that I I thought had huge actionable takeaways. I mean, we see Craig Reynolds pop up here with the David Montgomery injury. Uh, really, not a not a ton else. Uh, Latavius Murray, we might see move up a little bit with the Damian Harris neck sprain. Uh, apparently, the neck sprain was not. Uh, too severe or anything that should really be limiting to Damian Harris going forward. But I, I would anticipate maybe, you know, this one week removed from his ambulance trip off the field, we might see Damian Harris either, you know, I, I don't, I don't know if he'll be active or inactive, but maybe Latavius Murray gets a little bit more run this week, but nothing, uh, nothing too terribly interesting here on the backup. So chart. I, uh, I do know that, if I'm the Mercado, so we we sort of like I don't think we we definitely weren't the only people saying it that the idea that he was going to be the back to own, um, after the 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 Connor injury, and and it just I saw a tweet from uh, from Gretsch that sort of lines up what we're seeing here where he actually did play a decent amount of snaps. He was running routes a lot. He was pass blocking, but he didn't get that many touches. And so he those seem to be the passing down back, especially in sort of like clearer passing situations. And that's definitely something where you're not going to get, it's not something where you can just start that guy every week and feel good about it. But it is, it, it is a spot where 
you will get you'll occasionally get points there. But yeah, I I wonder, you know, with Kyler returning and the whole rushing quarterbacks throw less to mm -hmm. running backs narrative, if that devalues Demarcado a little further, or if the yeah. boost that the offense gets in efficiency, I mean. Maybe there is no boost. Maybe Josh Dobbs is Kyler Murray, you know, <laughs> but uh, we'll, right. we'll have to see what that looks like. I mean, yeah, Di Mercado's not looking so terribly exciting in, in a redraft format where you're having to like make an active decision to start him. So it just, it kind of looks like the Arizona backfield might not be valuable unless it's James Conner. So right, little, little bit of a bummer there. Um, and a bit of a, I, I realized about 20 minutes before the show started that I messed up in ex, uh, accidentally excluding uh, Jonathan Taylor from this chart. A Excel error, uh, my, my bad. And uh, if he was, if he was in this chart, he'd be right between uh, Zach Charbonnet and Tyler Algier. However, I do know if I just look at uh, last week alone, he did play half the snaps. He did have 16 expected fantasy points. So the, the the trajectory of one week back to week two back is definitely it's it's moving strongly in Jonathan Taylor's favor. And would look for obviously look for that to continue. And definitely would have zero hesitation about starting Jonathan Taylor going forward. And uh, would be would be pretty interested in uh Pretty interested in John and Taylor if if somebody was like is a bit worried about Zach Moss. The other thing about Jonathan Taylor, you mentioned he had 16 expected fantasy points. A lot of that came in the passing game, which that's beautiful. You really like to see that for your running backs because that helps make them more game script proof. And so, like like we're seeing with Alvin Kamara, he he's not efficient. He kind of sucks in the running game, but he's getting insane work getting such a great passing role and it doesn't matter you don't you don't even have to be good and so jonathan taylor is good and <laughs> could be getting this incredible role i think he'll eat into more of the work from zach moss zach moss might stick around a little longer than anyone wants and and he'll be annoying to jonathan taylor managers might you know take away some of the rushing game work but it does look like jonathan taylor is the guy they want to use in the passing game which is super valuable and I think the talent is ultimately just going to uh, to edge Zach Moss out. But I, I, I expect Moss has done enough to earn himself some staying power in a role each week. Right. As they're not going to they're not going to drop him immediately. No. However, it's Jonathan Taylor, and they did pay him a, a shit ton of money, and so I I do think and my, my my expectation would be anyway. That by the by the time playoffs come, you're seeing John and Taylor in his normal sort of like workhorse role where Zach Moss still plays and then still gets some some work, some touches, but it, you're you're getting you're getting starter level uh, usage from John and Taylor. And like you said about the the passing game, it, it it truly is unfortunately about Anthony Richardson's injury, but. Have, playing with a quarterback like Minshew, it does add a lot of expected points to the backfield there, which is is definitely a really uh, nice outcome for Jonathan Taylor. Yep. Yeah. I mean, uh, a really easy way to think of it is 
all of that value that Anthony Richardson added for fantasy with his legs, that's now distributed to the rest of the offense. You're seeing it with Michael Pittman and Josh Downs and Jonathan Taylor. All those guys are getting a boost in their production. So huge bummer to lose Anthony Richardson. But for the rest of the pieces on this offense, all of a sudden they they did get a little bump up because Minshew is capable enough to generate you know fantasy production for these guys. So yeah, agree, agree. So I'm if you're happy, I'm gonna move on. Yep. Keep us rolling here, um, and so I did. I did. Uh, we might have to. Uh, we ha- might have to move the uh, the twenty XP. So that does, this bubble does say Christian McCaffrey. That is uh, Christian, the Christian McCaffrey above 20 expected fantasy points per week and, and pretty efficient with it too. Um, but just to, I guess, re-explain this chart, on the horizontal axis, you've got rushing expected points. And then on the vertical axis, you've got receiving expected points. And the size of the bubble, it corresponds to their, uh, to their efficiency their fantasy points over expected. And you can see here, this reference tells you at this size, they're at zero fantasy points over expected per game. Is there anybody uh, here standing out to you that we haven't touched on? Or you, even if you just want to uh, recap some of the stuff, points we've made already just in the context of this chart. Kind of like James Cook is a buy low. Um, if you look at the size of his bubble, he's not been like, super efficient or inefficient. He's just kind of gotten what's been made available to him. Not that Damian Harris was taking a ton away, but just that little bit of snaps being able to potentially be consolidated between him and Latavius Murray is just a, a tiny little bit of a boost to Cook. And then also you get the Patriots this week who have been bad. Uh, historically, the Patriots have had a good defense, you know, and that's been something where, you can always say, oh, it's the Bill Belichick defense. They're always so good. The Patriots look undisciplined on in, in every phase of the game, like offense, defense, special teams. They're getting uncharacteristic penalties histor- you know, from what they would have historically. They just they don't look good. They're, Matt Judon tore his bicep a couple weeks ago. Like they're, They kind of look like they're a big mess. And so I like this as a spot for – Cook to kind of surge forward a little bit here. Last week we talked, uh, the the theme was guys in that five to 10 expected fantasy point range. And there are still some interesting guys there, but we've, we've kind of covered most of them. And I don't think too many situations change there. This week when I was putting the charts together, I really liked these uh, 10 to 15 range guys. Uh, I, I like James Cook a lot this week. I think he's interesting. I, I think you could see this be a good... Uh, you know, buy, this is a good buy low window for James Cook right here. I like Deonta Foreman as a little spot start this week. Gibbs is also very interesting because you've got Montgomery out. You've got a game against a potentially high-scoring opponent in the Ravens. I'm hoping that turns into a high-scoring game. That one kind of feels like it could go either way, and it could be pretty polar, right? You can end up with a, you know, 13 to 10 just each team decides to run the football at each other and there's a lot of punting and the offenses don't get a bunch going. And it's just a gross game because both teams are willing to run the ball. Um, But I I think if you get a couple explosive plays, that's a really interesting one. And the last time that, uh, you know, Gibbs Montgomery was out, Gibbs got a lot of work. I think he got 18 opportunities that game. 
And so with Craig Reynolds not practicing today, he's got a couple injuries. He's banged up. I'm pretty sure him not practicing is an abundance of caution by the Lions because they're like, ooh, we are real thin at running back. And they like Craig. They've they've made it really clear. They like Craig Reynolds. Like they gave him work over DeAndre Swift last year. He is not a ultra talented NFL running back, but he is uh, just in the same vein as Devin Singletary, right? That dude does what he is assigned to do. And the coaches love that about him. And so I think they're trying to be super safe with Reynolds because they feel thin at running back. They're holding him out of practice. But I mean, just that, that little red flag of injury for Reynolds, even though Gibbs is coming off injury, I could see this be a spot where Gibbs gets a lot of work and just the little bit that he's flashed when he has done some really efficient stuff and, I just I think back to week one where he's bouncing off all those tackles and he just looked so electric. I think that if you you run well and Gibbs just breaks a couple plays, that could be he, he could easily be the RB one on the week. So that's an interesting one to so, me. So you you're right. He did get 18 touches in week three, and um, but other than week one, he has gotten where week one he got nine touches. He has gotten a. Uh, double-digit touches every week, apart from week one. So, obviously, they, t- they took Gibbs in the first round. They, re- they, they, they still really like Gibbs, it seems. Um, but do you think that's interesting where, like, maybe maybe he gets up there that again and if he can add the efficiency in a positive game script, um, that uh, that could be useful. So, just in terms of usability, I, I, it sounds like you're happy to start Gibbs this week, unless you have like clear uh, elite elite running backs over him. But I see he so I see he's at sixty three hundred on DraftKings, and I'm just trying to uh, think of it in terms of usability. Is do you think he's a millie maker play, or is he somebody that where he he's he's firmly in the range for? Um, um, this sort of smaller tournament stuff. And, and to, forget about ownership for a second. Okay. I, I know we don't have that, but just like, is is he a relatively good play? Yeah, yeah. I think at that price, he's a good play. He's got the ceiling necessary to to really pay off a sixty three hundred tag. I, uh, you know, just just at the start of every week, I'll like to get my own thoughts about the slate through and and try to not you know let other people's information and the all the touts influence me i'll just i'll construct a lineup look at you know some of the the data that we have and and go through my thoughts on on who i like at certain price points and i ended up with a very large uh baltimore detroit stack in the the lineup that i built i believe it was uh lamar gibbs and uh and jameson williams with uh i believe zay flowers so it was, it was a lot of pieces all from that one game. So if uh, that game goes off, I'm expecting you to win the, the Thunderdome, basically. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I uh, think I'm going to need to get a little bit of a bigger bankroll to play the <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, if that game does go off, you can expect me to ship the dog bowl. I might I might have uh, three <laughs> tickets to Miami if that game goes off. I Yeah, I, I'd love to see that. Anybody else? Uh, and we've talked about a bunch of these guys tonight and, and, and previously weeks as well. So happy to yeah. move on. Yeah, I think we can move on. Everyone else is like trend holding or we've already discussed them. Okay, sounds good. So same chart, 
except this this one one chart we have odds and then the other one we have evens and it's just to uh help help us declutter the chart so we're showing two charts with more distinct bubbles where you can easily discern who the players are yeah and and when Draco says odds and evens he just means all all these players we have ranked by expected fantasy points in our sheet and so we just go down the list odd even odd even and split them up that way otherwise uh, in that five to ten expected fantasy point range it'd be entirely unreadable but uh same same thing that I talked about uh last week that uh or not last week the last chart it's it's that not the five to ten expected fantasy point range like we were excited about last week. Now it's the ten to fifteen expected fantasy point range. Uh, you see Jerome Ford, who I I really like him in a spot where the the Deshaun Watson situation is really interesting. Uh, they're saying he's got that you know deep shoulder contusion and that's what's been holding him out. And so even though he's medically cleared to throw, he's he's just really not you know he he's deciding he's not capable of playing. And so. I like Ford. The Browns are always happy to lean on their run game. He did fine last week. I think he's probably like a little undervalued in public perception right now because he didn't score a touchdown. It was mostly, it was like the classic Nick Chubb game, right? Runs for a bunch of yards, doesn't score a touchdown. So it doesn't really show up as exciting uh, in the fantasy scores. But uh, I, I like Ford this week against a, a somewhat weak Colts defense. We mentioned last week the Dolphins backfield. I think uh, you asked me how I would play it, uh, whether it be Ahmed or uh, some of the other Brooks. options at Brooks. Thank you. And I just said I would play it. And <laughs> it's, you know, it last week it turned out to be Ahmed. And you see he's he's already sitting there. That 10 to 15 expected fantasy point range is just like this Dolphins backfield. All they know how to do is produce fantasy points. So you just... Right. You play the starters uh, in that. You play anyone on the Dolphins' offense. Basically, uh, you can't go wrong. Yeah. So I guess in the context of the Dolphins, we did we got news that Jeff Wilson wouldn't be able to make it last week, and I think that that's part of what why Savannah Ahmed was the the next man up, and um, with Jeff Wilson back this week. Do you ha- do you think we can still look to uh, uh, Ahmed for points or yep. is, do you think? Oh, oh, Ahmed. Uh, no, I think it's probably. Well, it, it really depends on what they. I think the Dolphins are going to let us know at least with enough certainty that we'll have an idea of is it Jeff Wilson, is it Ahmed. Uh, but right now, if I if I had to call it today. I would say that it's Jeff Wilson. I think they do prefer him. Um, that's, yeah. that's what they would want to roll out if, you know, everyone is healthy, everyone is, you know, feeling good. So I, I think it would be Jeff Wilson for me, but it's, it listen, listen to what they say, pay attention to injury reports and practice reports and see what seems the most likely by Sunday and feel good who even even if it's the set it's going to be the second running back right Mostert is is the clear rb1 there yeah you can feel good playing the second one there's just enough points there that you you're you're good you know got a good chance of lucking into a touchdown just someone someone falls in the end zone they're gonna score you know a lot of points so just take take your shots there if if those are guys that you need to be playing and you like obviously you know 
start your studs over those guys. But if, if that's a running back you need to be playing, you definitely could do worse. Yeah, for sure. And I do see um, is Isaiah Pacheco. We had a discussion about him a couple of weeks ago. And I, uh, after disagreeing with you, I, uh, I capitulated and said you were right. And I feel good that I capitulated because you were definitely right. I, I think that's what's great about uh, both of our thought processes. We're, we think about the game in a really similar way. And so whenever you tell me something that you're on that is is different than my current assessment of the situation, I always take a long, hard think about it. I'm like, okay, if Drico thinks this, it's, there's probably something to it. And, and I would say vice versa because I was able yeah. to get on to Pacheco. And I, I think... I do like our our dynamic duo effect there. It helps the the couple blind spots that each of us are, you know, in, in playing fantasy football, you're going to run into a couple player evaluations where you're just wrong. Or you have a blind spot or bias or whatever. Maybe maybe you just miss some news or information. But I think between the two of us, we we managed to patch up the holes in the uh, in the other one's analysis pretty well. And so definitely, uh, definitely glad Good. to uh, have you there to get my back on some spots. Yeah. Good, uh, good, uh, good uh, podcast partnership for sure. Um, and then on, on Pacheco, so obviously since then, he had 23 expected points in week uh, three, 15, 14, 19. So he's definitely, he's definitely the running back to, uh, to, to play in KC. Um, that, that one feels like, I, I don't I haven't honestly seen that much buzz about him because he hasn't scored that many points either. But like in like the Chiefs backfield is normally pretty valuable. And so definitely yeah, definitely interested in Pacheco as like the the KC uh favored running back. I, I think he's a great play this week uh against the Chargers on uh you know a short week. I think that you could see him. Uh, maybe maybe he finds the end zone a couple times and delivers on his expected fantasy points, and uh, we see his his little bubble size increase a little bit as he uh, gets some fantasy points over expectation if he converts a couple touchdowns here. Yeah, he he actually in week four he had ten points over expected, so he he's uh, he, he he has had some weeks where he's delivered. And uh, ho- hopefully we can get a couple more. Anybody else here you wanted to touch on? Uh, you'll notice Derrick Henry is uh, sliding on down. He's he's moved down into the 5 to 10 expected fantasy point range. And that is just the nature of Derrick Henry. You know, you're, you're the when Derrick Henry is delivering good fantasy weeks for you, it's by having huge fantasy points over expected. He's breaking long breakaway runs that are not expected points, right? And mm-hmm. so he's not going to look great on a chart like this. He doesn't look, you know, super washed or anything. He's still breaking a big run here and there. And, uh, you know, uh, apparently the Titans love him in their passing game. He's thrown a couple passes, <laughs> they like scheming right. him up for, for the Derrick Henry jump pass or even, even not the Derrick Henry jump pass, just like a, you know, 30-yard 30, 30 strike downfield. Um, so as far as Henry goes, he's not someone where you could ever – I don't think you can ever really acquire him in season long for anything no. that would be 
fair, right? The name carries too much value. So on the flip side of that, you possibly could sell him off of a good game. What I would, what I would want to do, um, because what I'm, what I'm seeing, you know, I think a lot of people, the, the best person to sell Derrick Henry to is probably someone that is, uh, thinks they're smarter than they are at fantasy and is paying attention to playoff matchups and stuff like that. They're like, Oh, Hey, did you know Derrick Henry plays the Texans twice in the fantasy football playoffs? Because what I think we could get is we get a nice Derrick Henry explosion game. You go and ship him off to someone who's galaxy braining their fantasy playoff matchups. And by the time the fantasy football playoffs roll around, I'm pretty sure we're going to see this Texans defense, you know, look a little stronger. I, I think the way that this team is trending, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see their run D be stronger. Right now, their run D is not good. But I wouldn't be right. surprised at all to see that be stronger by season end, um, just based on who they've faced so far this season. And just, you know, I, I think uh, they, they may be able to get it together a little bit. And I yeah. think that if you're able to sell Derrick Henry off of a big game, you might miss out on a lot of these uh, more disappointing Derrick Henry floor games and uh, be able to get a good haul just off name value. So that was, I think that's the only actionable Derrick Henry stuff I had. Yeah. He, um, He's mostly his expected points has mostly really truly been in the five to ten range, and so you you need the the Derrick Henry monster runs to uh, uh, score points with him and with I I, I guess that that still seems to be part of his game, but for the price you paid that that doesn't feel very good at all. How do you think? Uh, that part of his game is going to look with Tannehill out. Do you think that teams will be able to commit more to preventing those explosive run plays from Henry? Will it matter if they commit more to preventing those plays or what, how does that look? I think um, he's actually been relatively productive with Malik Willis in the lineup. And obviously when he's the quarterback, you will get more defenders in the box. But where Malik can help in, in in terms of like the efficiency stuff, because he's Malik is such a threat as a runner himself. Um, offenses can use that; they can scheme with that to where to where effectively they have to assign a, a defender to the quarterback who t- who the, the offense doesn't have to block now. And so I think that part of it might actually be a wash, how I guess in in the running game. But obviously, um, his uh, his receiving stuff is not going to be in, in play so much with Malik Willis at, at quarterback. So it, it, you really need the breakaway runs because you're not getting you're not getting much receiving, and um, but. Do you think the breakaway runs will still be in play? And and not that this was a terribly efficient offense to begin with, but I, I don't really think that Malik Willis is going to be better for the offense as a whole no. than Ryan Tannehill. Not that Tannehill's been good by any stretch, but I, I think you're probably going to see the offense uh, get a little bit worse. And so just in general, that's going to be worse for Henry. Henry just basically has to do it all himself, which he can, he absolutely can, but I'd be looking for an out on him. I'd be looking for a big game to get out, but yeah. 
agree, agree with that for sure. Agree with that for sure. Anybody else that you want to touch on? Uh, just I'm very to move on to. Yeah, very briefly, Elijah Mitchell, Jordan Mason conversation. If I don't, it doesn't sound like CMC's injury is super serious. Sounds like he could go this week, but if he does miss, I do think it's more likely to actually be Mitchell uh, ahead of Mason. But I think you're going to get both backs, so that'll be interesting to watch. I don't think there's a ton of value. Uh, in either of them for the short term, your your contingent value is obviously good on both of those guys, mm-hmm. you, you know, in the event that CMC misses more time or even in the event that they are lighter with his workload when he comes back, which I always thought the the way they deployed him last season, they they were a little lighter with his workload than they have been to start this season. So I I really thought that this season we would see CMC's workload be relatively light in the early parts of the season, you know, still getting 60 plus percent, 70% of snaps, but not like the 80, 90% ridiculous CMC style workloads just in the interest of preservation. But anyway, that just Elijah uh, Mitchell, he's another guy where the coaches in previous years have said, we really like this guy. Yeah. He just, he hasn't been able to stay healthy, but yeah, I don't think the team, the team's not looking at this guy when he's healthy saying, well, we can't play you because you can't stay healthy, right? Like if the dude is healthy, they want, they're going to put him on the field. Yeah. So just when he, when he's available, just know that he's probably a decent asset for fantasy. And you just have to know that maybe there's a slightly uh, elevated injury risk for him just based on his past, but I don't, right. I, I try not to read too much into that stuff. I think a lot of it's pretty noisy. I don't, I don't think that, hardly anyone it's hard is, to call yeah i don't think anyone's good at predicting that or good enough to actually gain an advantage from it so it, for well, all the injuries CMC you predict out, you're gonna miss them Elijah, i do think elijah mitchell is a pretty strong spot start yeah yeah and uh, you you also could roll mason as well i think i think they'll both get work so okay um so moving on uh oh flew true that this uh, is our tight end utilization and efficiency chart. So these are our starting tight ends. And what we've got here is we've got roots and pass blocking as a percentage of team dropbacks. And obviously what we want is tight ends who are on the field for the, the vast majority of the team's passing plays. And even more than that, we want tight ends running routes on uh, the vast majority of the team's passing plays. And like the running back charts, because we want the trend over the full season average, this is a rolling four-week average rather than the full season. Um, one thing that sort of struck me was we see George Kittle really climbing up this chart in terms of his actual routes. And I believe a big part of that is that when another skill player gets injured, they they start to rely on George Kittle as a pass catcher much more. And and that's where you get those weeks where Kittle just scorches the air. Yep, hundred hundred percent. And even there there are some weeks where there's an injured weapon on the 49ers offense, and it's still game plan dependent. Because you'll see games where 
they've decided we can just run the piss out of the ball. We, we're going to run the ball 50 times this week. And then George Kittle doesn't run any routes. He's just out there mowing dudes down, blocking guys right. 15 yards downfield. And so his usage is going to be really volatile. For for the top tight ends, I would say Kittle is the one. He, he is like the, the chameleon of these top tight ends where he can be whatever the team needs him to be we're like, you know, a lot of these guys up here can can do it all. They can block, they can run routes, they're, you know, weapons in the passing game. But Kittle, you know, the most can can really blend in and do what the team needs him to do to win a specific game. And so he'll have a lot of volatility in his utilization. And so that's why we can see him bounce up and down the chart there. And so in, in these last couple of weeks, especially we, we get rid of a couple of the, the early weeks of the season now um, since we're doing the rolling four weeks. And we have the Cowboys game in there where Kittle was specifically used to exploit a matchup against the Cowboys safeties who are not as uh, as good in pass coverage. And they got absolutely worked for three receptions for three touchdowns. So that that was a good game plan. Right. <laughs> Uh, a little, little bit of disappointment in your voice there. Um, <laughs> I, I sort of do notice that he's Kittle has been above since week one. He's been above 85% routes or higher. Just what's been volatile as whether he's actually targeted or not. Mm. Uh, and so that that's that's the, uh, the George Kittle experience, I suppose. Uh, another player that struck me was your boy and Jake Ferguson, where if I look at the last two weeks, Jake Ferguson is now at, in the last two weeks, at 80% of uh, routes run. And that's pretty, that's like firmly in the Sam Laporta, Dallas Goddard, um, TJ Hawkinson range. So that, that seems like a pretty strong development there for uh, Jake Ferguson. Unless I'm missing something. No, yeah, the the only uh, like color or context I would add to the Jake Ferguson stuff is now we have more signal that the Cowboys offense is shit. So it's uh, it's less exciting than initially when we thought, you know, when we were getting the early signal that, wow, Jake Ferguson could consolidate, you know, more of these snaps, he could get more routes and he's already getting he was getting elite targets per route run numbers. He's up at like 27 percent for a while. His targets dropped down um, this last week, and uh, his his dots actually still really low. So he's just that safety valve, uh, safety blanket. The reason I was excited for Jake Ferguson was I anticipated this offense maybe taking a step back from last season. But not only did they take a step back, they took a step backwards, and they actually were at the top of a staircase, and they fell and <laughs> smacked their head on every single stair on the way down. And they are all the way at the bottom of the league now. I'm just trying. I'm I'm just trying to use this section to subtly make you talk bad about the Cowboys. I got That's I got all a lot, I'm trying to do got here. a lot to say about it. But anyway, to to not uh, you know hate on my my Cowboys and cause myself too much misery here. What I would say is my thesis for why I was so excited about Jake Ferguson was I really liked the potential touchdown upside I thought I saw in the offense. I think that has fundamentally changed. I don't think he could get, 
I thought double-digit touchdowns were squarely in the range of outcomes for him. I don't think that's the case anymore. I think if you traveled back in time to the Cowboys offense with Kellen Moore as the offensive coordinator, that was in the range of outcomes, and it's it's not any longer. So he'll be a low-end tight end one uh, to end the yeah. season because tight end is a wasteland, and when you get this many routes and this many targets per route run, you will be a low-end tight end one. But his upside That's is, a good outcome, though. Yeah, I mean, for, for, you're, you're, for sure. Your your dreams of him being like maybe like top four or something like that, maybe probably not as as live as it was at the start of the year, but still still a pretty strong outcome. And yeah. another pl- player that stuck struck out to me is we've got Evan Ang- Ingram, who um he's pretty high up here. He's getting targeted quite a bit. ADOT is not quite there, but definitely still like interesting usage for sure. Where I think you're definitely getting the uh, elite ish uh, usage that you were hoping for where you drafted Ingram. My caveat on the Ingram stuff is that this is while we're missing Zay Jones, and Zay Jones is, I believe, missing again this week. So while Zay Jones is out, I'm, I'm happy to play Ingram. I think he's probably a, a pretty good play. Uh, the thing I, I really like about Ingram, even though his ADOT is really low, is Ingram is cut from the same cloth as like, this is going to sound like a knock against him, but it's not, as Gerald Everett, where he's the kind of guy where the offense, they want to get him the ball and let him make something happen after the catch. Um, and, and so that's part of why his ADOT's so low. You know, they're just they're trying to get the ball in his hands and let him let him create something. And he's he's athletic. He's a good receiver. So I'm I definitely am excited about Ingram. But I would caution and say that when Zay Jones comes back, I would expect that targets per route run number to decrease. And so maybe it's something where in a season long league, if you're able to get a couple good performances from Ingram before Zay Jones comes back, you could move him to someone who's not as plugged in and understanding the dynamics of that offense and and why he's seeing so much more work right now. But he he's still going to get work even with Zay Jones back. I just think that uh, you know the best version of Evan Ingram's fantasy production happens with one fewer uh, mouth to feed on that offense, whether it's Zay Jones or Christian Kirk or Calvin Ridley being out. That uh, that does make sense, and um, I guess. Slight pushback would be that Ingram still had 16% targets per run and 21% targets per run in week one and two, um, before which I believe were before uh, Zay Jones's injury, and that that still seems fairly strong, unless. Uh, I'm missing something there. I, no, I think- no, absolutely. I think Zay Jones did leave uh, partway through. Was it was it week two that he left partway through the game? I can't remember. I, I might be misremembering, but yeah, I, I don't. I certainly don't think Ingram is like a must sell. But if you, if you're able to move him for something good, but yeah, he he's certainly interesting. Uh, this week with no Trevor Lawrence, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Yeah, um, but yeah, he. He's, I mean, he's squarely at a tight end one. Rest of the, you know, right. You, you you got the road. I think you got the road that you paid for. Yeah, yeah. Which is, uh, you know, for for those tight ends that go in the middle of drafts, 
it's kind of rare that you get uh, right. an outcome where it's actually what you paid for, right? Like, I feel like everyone else around, like, in Joku and Friar Muth, like, those, those are both really painful picks. Like, you go a little bit later, mm -hmm. and it's like, you know, Dalton Kincaid, like, that's one you're, you, you'd like to have those ones back, you know, and then a little bit before that, like Darren Waller, Dallas Goddard, like you'd love to love to cross right. those ones out of your portfolio. So it's like, it's, it's a little a, it's weird. It's definitely a high bust position. Yeah. So the, the rate of failure when you, when you're picking tight ends is high and, and ideally because of that, you want your hits to be really big and probably not getting that from Ingram, but you're still getting, you're, you're getting a solid hit. Let's talk about a guy who could be a big hit. And uh, for whatever reason, the fantasy community is just anchored to the fact that this guy is not a hit. And that's Kyle Pitts. And so Pitts has had a couple good weeks in a row now. And a big part of that is coming from... Now, if you look at his peripherals, his targets per route run have been high, right? It's not... This 19% is not new. It's been high. His ADOT has been high. In fact, I think this might be a lower ADOT than he's had in the last few weeks. You can check me on that. But what we're actually seeing uh, his he's, his snaps are decreasing. You, you've seen him come down the chart a little bit, but we're seeing them throw so many more passes. Their, their attempts are up substantially, uh, you know, like more than double <laughs> some weeks. Um, and so you're going to have weeks where the Falcons do Arthur Smith things and they just run the ball and they refuse to play football in the 21st century, you know, but you're also going, they've now shown us like, yes, we know sometimes we have to throw the ball and they begrudgingly do it. But those, I mean, shit, you don't even need a lot of those. You need like six, seven of those games in a season. And like, if you get one of those, in the playoff weeks where the Falcons drop back and throw 40 plus passes and Kyle Pitts is out there with, you know, 20% targets per route run and an eight out of 12 look out because you abs like, God, it, it, it just feels like Kyle Pitts needs to be the guy you need in the play. Like, doesn't that feel like that? It's all be right in the a universe. Big, a big, massive spike week. And yeah. in one of the playoff weeks. Yeah. And, Here's a fun game, or at least I think it's fun. How? What do you think for the Falcons? What do you think their average dropback per week is so far this year? Like their average number of dropbacks so far this year? Gosh, I'm gonna say th oh, it's so low the first couple of weeks. Let's go 33, 39. Okay, okay, like. You've week three that had 47, uh, week five, five uh, four, 36, 39, and then last week 52. Okay, so, like I, I feel like the, the team stuff is relatively okay. You just you've had some weeks where he wasn't heavily targeted, and, and maybe we can put that down to his recovery from the knee injury or uh, lack of hopefully not lack of chemistry with. Uh, Ritter, but the team stuff feels like relatively okay, and the ta the talent is certainly there. So they're like, especially at the price. Like I remember, um, Pitts was going like in the in the tenth round and later, 
and resurrection at that price, like you've got the potential for some really nice outcomes there. Yeah. And yeah. Firmly in play in DFS as well as I would say. Yeah. And his, his price was like bargain basement last week. I, I think the, uh, the Ritter doubles ended up taking down the Millie. They took down a lot of stuff last week. So uh, exciting, exciting signs from that offense. You're going to have frustrating weeks from that off. That is yeah. the nature of an Arthur Smith team. Right. But there's there's signs of life and uh, the cost that you were paying for Pitts this season was low. You know, like he wasn't going that much before Ingram, really. You know, like around round and a half, two rounds before Ingram. And at that point in the draft, there wasn't a ton of opportunity cost difference between all the all the players you'd select between them. Mm-hmm. Where uh, I think that's that's shaping up to be a pick that you're happy that you made especially if it got you to stack them with Ritter as a you know cheap last round quarterback and you played right. it with one you, you managed to get one of the other quarterbacks that's a big hit this season and then you've got Ritter who's def Ritter's made your starting lineup if you drafted Ritter you know he, he's had a couple weeks where he's done enough to hit your starting lineup so right it's definitely uh I, I think you can already chalk it up as, uh, you know, very, very promising for the Falcons pass catching stacks. Now, I'm really excited about the prospect that we can get one of these podcasts in under two hours. I think <laughs> I think we can do it this week. Let's uh, let's hit this backup tight end chart and then uh, motor through these wide receivers. Yeah. So same chart, except as as uh, Sack said, these are the backups, and. This is this was uh, originally Sam Sherman's like he has this perverse sense of humor where making me talk about uh, backup tight ends and he's still he's still making me do it. <laughs> I, I've got Anybody? there's oh sorry there there's three on this chart actually that are worth talking about. I promise. Yes, yeah, go ahead, go right ahead. One of, one of them I want you to look up some data for for me. Can you tell me? Michael Mayer, uh, you know, percent of team dropbacks and targets per route run just for the last two weeks, because his rolling four is going to look really bad. But his last two is where we are starting to see this Michael Mayer breakout. So last week, he was 67% route run and 27% targets per route run. So essentially, you can, if that's maintained, you can, you can, it's what we were seeing from well, Jake Ferguson to start the season. It's basically it's it's Jake Ferguson exactly to start the season, right? Twenty seven percent targets per route run, just under seventy percent. So yeah, that's, yeah. Uh, that's good. Like three point four yards per route run. So like, if if you are stuck at tight end, um, I think you can. St- I can think you have a sh- there's a shot where you can start Michael Mayer now, which. Given how bad it looked at the start of the year, that's pretty. I'm pretty pumped about that. I got a. I got an interesting spot. I've got Jake Ferguson on my my keeper home league. Jake Ferguson's my only tight end on my roster. I got a million guys on by this week. Don't don't really have room to hold Jake Ferguson. I mean, I, I could cut some dart throw running back, but I'm debating cutting Ferguson to add Mayer. The problem is I can keep Ferguson for $2 next year. Probably won't. Got a bunch of good keepers, but I could sell him. I can't keep Mayer because he, he didn't get drafted. 
But oh, okay. But is is it worth hanging on to Ferguson through the bye? I really don't think I want to roster both of them, but I I do really want to pick up Mayer. I think because my my upside case for Ferguson, I just talked about it, kind of evaporated. Right, the the true huge mm-hmm. ceiling I was excited for, and I think that's live for me. Here here's the thing: Michael Mayer is good. He's really good. Like he's a good. Right, he was player. Notre Dame's best player for 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 every year he played there. I like, I believe. I believe uh, to quote Evan Silva, I think he's a motherfucking Mackey Award winner. Is that, is that right? <laughs> so, that, I, I, he he is the embodiment of eh, the motherfucking Mackey Award. Yeah, so I I'm interested in Mayer. Um, not to spend too much time on the back of tight end chart though, so I'm gonna I'm gonna speed through these next guys. Uh, Luke Musgrave also super interesting. 19% targets per route run, decent enough a dot, um, and I. I think what we might end up seeing with uh, Luke Musgrave is as the offense becomes more efficient, even though he might end up getting a little bit squeezed in his targets per route run, he could benefit from getting some more touchdowns. The offense we saw when this offense is efficient, Jordan loves chucking three TDs a week, right? So Mm -hmm. you're just asking for a little bit of that touchdown variance to go Luke Musgrave's way. And they targeted the, piss out of him in their last game like they were they were feeding him the ball I, I think uh if this offense gets a little better and maybe that you know they needed the aaron jones boost to do that i'm interested in luke musgrave so just uh, another point to kind of back that up is that in the first three weeks uh, his routes run were 80 81 and 86 and then he had the the concussion that and pushed him down to 20% for a week. And then he was just coming off the concussion, which pushed him to 68%. So I actually think there's a pretty good chance that for the for the full season, he's going to be in the starting tight end section of the chart where he's going to be around 80. Yeah, I, uh, I definitely like Luke Musgrave as a guy going forward. I would, I would say... Actually, not sure how I feel about Mayer versus Musgrave rest of season. Do you have a preference one over the other? I I have a. It's one of those things. I'm just biased. I just think Michael Meyer is like so good that he, he's who I want to bet on. But and and then Luke Musgrave didn't really have that strong a um, a college profile, so. I'm still holding. I'm still hanging on to my priors with Michael Mayer, but uh, that's it. Maybe that maybe that's a bias for me, but I well, think I'm justified. Actually, you know, uh, one of one of the greatest DFS players, uh, Utikau on uh, on Lols, said that he just plays the best players, plays the most talented players. Pete Pete managed to drag that out of him for his process, and so I think he would back up your uh, Michael Mayer. Okay. Is the guy there? Um, the last backup tight end I will make anyone listen to me talk about is Trey McBride, and Trey McBride is we're catching the signal one week early compared to where Michael Mayer is at. Where now we've seen Michael Mayer string together these two weeks where it's like, okay, like you have my attention. Trey McBride, we're we're just one week prior in that breakout for him, and. We saw him get more snaps. We saw him get 
more opportunities. Uh, and he looks good. Uh, a lot of his production did come on the last play of the game. Total, absolute, the most garbagey garbage time. But it was a long pass down the field from Josh Dobbs. Hit him down the seam. It was a nice little strike. And uh, he, he was that the good. one that time was expiring? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, and they they were they time expired after the catch, so it was completely worthless in real yeah. life. Yeah, um, I'm sure. I, I believe I've got enough Trey McBride that that had to help some best ball team of mine somewhere. So, um, but he, he, he hit a flex for me for sure. <laughs> McBride is good though. It is the thing. He just like Michael Mayer. He's good. He's very athletic. And the other thing, this is uh, kind of in the same vein as a team telling you we really like this guy. This is this felt weird to me to see a team do this, but they went out and they they. They like made a big deal about this too. They explicitly moved Zach Ertz down on the depth chart to number two <laughs> and moved Trey McBride up to number one. And it's like that just feels it feels like they're trying so hard to send a message. Like that was like right. very much about the messaging. And to me, I'm I'm happy to buy into that signal. I always thought Trey McBride was really talented. I drafted a lot of him. It was very frustrated to see Zach Ertz getting all this work and, and keeping Trey McBride bottled up. I'm happy to uh, to try and get on the Trey McBride train before it leaves the station here. Not sure it's it's like for a redraft league, it's not terribly actionable, but like keep them on your watch list, keep a light on, you know, maybe in an FFPC, uh, you know, 20, 20 man roster. That's definitely, I mean, he's probably owned, but uh, you know, maybe, maybe worth a pickup if he's somehow out there on your waivers and tight end premium, but Anyway, that right. was uh that was the last backup tight end I had anything to say about. All right. All right. Let's uh let's keep it moving then. Um so here we have the wide receiver chart and on the horizontal axis, you've got fantasy point uh, no, sorry, on the horizontal uh, axis you've got weighted targets per out run, which is like normal targets per out run, but it weighs down the field targets more. And then on the vertical axis, you've got fantasy points per game. And what I normally find in this chart is that after a couple of games in, it tends to get very stable. Like we, we sort of figure out who guys are pretty quickly. And um, it can be good to sort of recap that, but just sort of that, that's what I found with this chart. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't, couldn't agree more. Uh, once we've got a large enough sample, uh, most of the guys kind of are who they are. Uh, there, there can be certain situations where we want to read a little bit more into the situation and the nuance surrounding it for why a guy might move from one quadrant to another. But like, for example, guys that I, I don't think will be moving from their quadrant would be like uh, this dude that Steve Smith senior agreed with me on for my player evaluation. That's Jerry Judy, because that's that's Jerry Hootie to to you because that guy is absolute dust. He's he's gonna live in the melt carton zone down here uh, with Jahan Dotson, Alec Pierce, and Allen Robinson. They're they're all dust balls. Uh, I, I just Glad had to, to shit on it. had to shit on Jerry Judy. Take take one more victory lap on that take after Steve Smith backed me up. Uh, it's always always nice to get that support. Uh, a guy that's actually something actionable. There's two guys. They're right next to each other. They're both in the proper, not proper, but our preferred quadrant of the chart that we like. And they are at points on the chart where I think that we could see them trend in positive directions, both up and to the right. 
And I don't think this is going to be like my CD lamb call where I said he's moving up and to the right. And then he did the exact opposite. I, I truly think there's some pretty good signal here for why both of these guys might have some positive movement. And that's Michael Pittman and Amari Cooper. You can see they're both kind of near that bottom left corner of the top right quadrant near the middle of the chart. Both of these guys are running lots of routes. They're both, you know, 95 to 100% route share. Uh, and they both happen to benefit from quarterback changes. Uh, it's kind of funny, but we saw this last season too, that Amari Cooper was better when Jacoby Brissett was in at quarterback. And now that Deshaun Watson has been out a couple weeks, it actually looks like Amari Cooper might be a little bit better. Not that he was terrible with you know Deshaun Watson, but I, I don't think Deshaun Watson is good. And so it doesn't matter that he's – your your brain plays a trick on you when you're like, oh, the starting quarterback's out, so I can't play Amari Cooper. Any, Amari Cooper's bad now. He's dead, right? Or he's not not as good as he was. But in, in actuality, that's not the case. Amari Cooper is just as good, potentially better, because Deshaun Watson sucks. And so I think that that's one that's interesting to me. I don't know how much more time Deshaun Watson is going to miss. Um who knows though? He's sitting on you know 200 mil guaranteed. Doesn't have to work. Doesn't have to do anything. And he's got a little little ouchy in his shoulder. He doesn't want to play. Um, but Michael Pittman also benefiting from quarterback change. This one we know is sticking. We should you know see Gardner Minshew. I, I would assume finishes out the season for them. He would have to look really bad. I I would guess to get benched because uh, I, I think the Colts kind of feel like they've got their quarterback of the future in Anthony Richardson just with what he's flashed, not that he was such a prolific passer or anything, but you know, he, he was Cam Newton all over again. And when you got that, you're, you're going to write it. But uh, to Michael Pittman's benefit, I mean, he got, what was it? Was it 10, 11 targets last week? Um, and he's, he's earning alpha work. Like Alec Pierce is just out of the picture. The his, his competition for targets is, you know, it's a rookie slot receiver in Josh Downs, who I, I think is good at football, but I just think Michael Pittman is going to be able to command a pretty high percentage of the targets. And I think that this offense is going to benefit from more accurate passes, more passing volume. And we did talk about the effect earlier that removing that quarterback rushing from the offense distributes some of those fantasy points to other weapons. So both of those guys, Amari Cooper, Michael Pittman, I thought were really interesting on the chart. Yeah, so Michael Pittman looks like he's been in around the 25% target threat run range. So that's like you're probably it's not truly elite, but it's it's wide receiver one usage. Yeah, he's definitely definitely paying off his tag. Um he he went right. pretty cheap in best ball drafts for his role. He's he's kind of uh I don't want to call him the the Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf of you know of 2023 where where they were so undervalued in 2022 because people thought that Seattle was going to be terrible, but it he's he's kind of in that in that range. I mean, the the truest right uh, where he's so cheap that just being solid is like a big win. Yep. Uh, anyone else on this chart for you? I mean, Cooper Cup is doing Cooper Cup things. Are we surprised? Puka Nakua is still good. Um, Puka Nakua still got 33% target share. I think the Rams threw really little this last week, right? Didn't they have only like, I want to say 20, 
21 attempts or something. It was something crazy low for them. Um, and give me a second. And, but they they threw 28, 28 drop box in week six. So okay. that, that is tiny. Yeah, is very fine. Yeah, very little. But uh, Puka, Puka still, you know, out there doing Puka things. It, it just looks like a great. It, it's man, it's just it's uh, Gretch is right about a lot of stuff, but his call of there's going to be the haves and have-nots is just looking so prescient. The way the season is playing out, it's like it's the Rams, it's the Lions, it's the 49ers, it's the Dolphins. And those are the competent offenses, right? And and there's other offenses that are producing for fantasy. Like you got AJ Brown and Stephon Diggs up there. And I would argue that they're producing in spite of the way their offenses are designed, rather than they're they're not they're not being boosted by their offensive design. They are the talent of the player and and obviously they have incredible quarterback situations as well. It's enough that the fact that their offense isn't you know, the, the coordinator isn't among the very, very best in the league, like those four offenses I listed. It doesn't matter. They're good enough, and and the players are so good. But, uh, and I, I would say, like, the same thing with Keenan Allen. Like, you know, good, very good player, very good offense in general. I think Kellen Moore in general is is going to be closer to those uh, sharper offensive coordinators, and he's he's in the the correct direction of the trends. But there's there's still some things that I think that he's lacking that those those best four offensive coordinators uh, are just doing right way better than the rest of the league. I agree for sure. And so you mentioned CD Lamb, and one thing I sort of notice here is that he really is he's in the like starter or, or not starter he's in the like wide receiver one targets per at range like ish. He's he's hovering around twenty percent target per run, and that honestly that really is disappointing for taking him at the one two turn, like that is not great. And and I I was I I was mindful that the Cowboys could run a lot more this year than they did last year, but did expect him to be a, a very good target earner, and so I've been a little bit disappointed with his. Uh, his target rate and still sort of leaving a candle on that it could improve uh, as, as the year goes on. But that, that has been a disappointment. Yeah. It's just, uh, I, I was talking about this in a discord channel today, but in the off season, I mentioned so frequently we overblow the impact that coaches have on players production and like I, you know, there's these four offensive coordinators that are great and they're having these huge positive impacts on their players' production. And for the rest of the league, it's not, it's like take it or leave it. Like the, you, you could, you could lose the offensive coordinator and never even know it, you know, for, for a lot of them, it wouldn't right. majorly impact the production, but there's a couple guys out there in the league that are just lead fucking weights to their offenses. And that is what Mike McCarthy and Schottenheimer have been to the Cowboys. Like, you, you clearly you saw this offense was able to produce at an elite elite level for the last couple seasons, and they they took that offense out behind the barn and shot it, and they buried it six feet deep. So something very significant has to change for the Cowboys uh, for their offense to produce at the cost that they were being drafted at this season. 
which as a Cowboys fan is very disappointing to say. Um, but I, I really try not to let my fandom bias me and I, I try to be objective about this stuff. And uh, yeah, it just looks, looks ugly for Cowboys weapons, man. Yeah. Very unfortunate. And I definitely have a lot of CD line. <laughs> so um, I, I, I think I think we've sort of covered the main points in this chart. I'm happy to move on if you are. Yeah, my last you can you can move to the next one because I don't need the chart up for this one. But George Pickens, um, I'm I'm really interested to see what happens for Pickens because he's had a lot of injury. You know, you had Deontay miss all this time, Fryermuth missed some time during that same window, and so I'm very interested to see this. I, I think these next couple weeks are going to be pretty defining for the Steelers as a team um, and, and also for Pickens as a player. I, I think that you could, if Pickens is able to continue to command his target share that he's been getting and he's able to keep producing as like a true alpha, this might be the very beginning of the Pickens ascension. Um, but if Deontay comes back and is his usual target hog self, um, and Matt Canada has, you know, George Pickens running wind sprints again, you right. might, you might be in for a lot of disappointment. So that was one, one thing to watch that I wanted to know. I think if, uh, if when um, Deontay comes back, um, Pickens gets kind of like nerfed. If that happens, it seems like pretty certain that Matt Canada just gets fired. That's what I'm. I I didn't want to uh, to get too down the the coaching is getting fired rabbit hole there, um, but yeah, I when I when I was saying it's a pivotal time for the Steelers as a team, I definitely think that's squarely in the range of outcomes. Um, so very interesting to to watch how that unfolds. So don't have a lot of new takeaways here. Um, obviously Josh Reynolds. Being in this section of the chart is interesting, but I know you you have a you've got some uh, takes about a Detroit Lions receiver who uh, yeah. maybe coming for his job. Yeah, um, so I I think Josh Reynolds is gonna have sticking power on this offense just because I think him and Goff have like a legit Goff is why Josh Reynolds is in Detroit. They play together in L.A. Uh, Goff really pounded the table to get Josh Reynolds, and he'd be helpful for the team. And he's, he's good. He's like a serviceable NFL wide receiver. Um, you know, he's not a world beater by any means, but like, he's the kind of guy, he seems to fit the lions, uh, their, their preference for like how they like their players to be and behave, you know, that Josh Reynolds is that right. kind of dude. He's got, he's got that dog in him. Um, he takes his own fail to work. Yes. But, um, for, for all the good about Josh Reynolds, I think that between, uh, Gosh, what's the uh, Khalif Raymond and Marvin Jones? I think those guys are just, you know, placeholders out there. They're literally they're there because, you know, someone has to run the routes. And I think that Jamison Williams is, I mean, in, in this last game, I, I watched a little bit of uh, the game film back and Jamison Williams is like, good, good. Um, not not just like, oh, he had some splash plays like dude is just embarrassing dbs out there like guys are not capable of covering him there there are lots of plays where he is like holy shit this dude's open like 
he's he's big boy open in the NFL, you know, and uh, right, like making great plays too. Like there were a couple balls that were really not well thrown to him. There was one where he he was uh, on the left sideline, gets like five yards of separation on a deep comeback, and uh, Goff is like getting pressured and like about to be hit as he throws it, and he just like lame ducks it and totally underthrows Jamison Williams. If the if the timing is correct and he actually delivers that ball like at the break, Jamison Williams is like one guy to beat with a safety screaming over trying to help. But it's like, can he make a guy miss in space and then house call it for another like Jamison Williams could have had three long touchdowns last week. He had the one, you know, he could have had three. And on the only run nine routes. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, go go back and watch them. Nine ain't that much to watch, guys. Like, literally, go back <laughs> and watch them, and uh, you'll see. I, I promise, you don't have to know ball. Like, you'll see it. He's wide ass open. Like, it's easy to see. Um, I'm super excited about him. I, you know, I haven't been uh, like a huge JMO stan. I, I liked the player as a prospect coming out. He got a slow start. Got unlucky with the gambling suspension. Um, no, no pun intended with the unlucky there, but the way I, I think I see him progressing for the lions is similar to how we've, we've seen them progress with other players in the pat. Like we are seeing them progress with Gibbs. They're kind of taking it a little slow and it's, it's different for running back and wide receiver, but I would anticipate that we want to see more of him. We're not seeing as much as we'd like, but the lions are rational enough. Uh, they, they make rational enough coaching decisions in games where I think that in the event where they're getting pushed and they they need some explosives to win a game, Jamison Williams is getting more opportunity because that guy like he's the best receiver on the Lions and you get like he he, he unlocks the offense though so. yeah he's he's the best receiver Amon Ra is a good receiver Jamison Williams is the best receiver on the Lions and that's like you can take that all the way to the bank I promise you like next year at this time it won't be a hot take. Like <laughs> it's, okay. he, he's, he's very good. So definitely excited for him, but I think it, it's going to be a, you know, come along a little slowly type of thing, but very excited for him. Everybody else here. That's interesting. I feel, I feel like we've talked about like uh, pretty one, in depth. one guy reminded okay. me of one that it's, it's going to be like a team level thing. So his other uh, counterpart will be on the next chart too, but Nico Collins, reminded me um we've got tank dell coming back <clears throat> they're, they're on by this week but tank dell will come back from injury and be back in the lineup while tank dell was out we saw signs of life from dalton schultz dalton schultz actually had a couple couple usable games got a touchdown saw his his routes go up saw his snaps go up like previously he looked pretty left for dead like looked entirely fantasy irrelevant and so that's one uh, where I'm going to watch that really closely. I, To me, I'm pretty sure that he was out there and, and getting increased opportunity out of necessity because it's like, well, we really like Tank Dell. He's not here. So I guess Schultz can get some more work now. Um, but I, I think what you're looking at in this offense is Nico Collins is the clear number one. Tank Dell is the number two. And then you've got Robert Woods and Dalton Schultz as kind of like the safety blanket type targets um in the offense so that i just as a whole for the offense i thought that was important to look at makes that uh, makes sense for sure and so i'm uh, i'm gonna move on to the next chart um, and right. this is 
this is our sort of like more true backup chart. And you can see this is players who play anywhere from 40 to 70% of, uh, of routes. And what we're looking for is we're looking for guys who have been really productive on, on small routes. And we can say this guy has earned more playing time. That's what we're looking for here. And Jameson Williams is probably one of those kind of classic examples of like, yes, he's coming back from the suspension, but he's, uh, he's been, I, I think he, uh, I'm not sure if he, where is James? Uh, he's not, he's not getting enough uh, routes. Okay. He doesn't qualify. He, he, he doesn't qualify. Yeah. yeah, you're right. You only got nine routes, but if he did fit on the chart, he, he's a pretty classic example of somebody earning more playing time. Yeah, absolutely. Similar to Juan Dale, who earned more playing time, and then I saw that he basically just took Paris Campbell's job. Yep. Yeah, and that was, man, every once in a while, the fantasy community and, and analysts just get something so right. It's like, holy shit, sometimes we're really good at this. And I heard so many people say this. I want to know who the originator was, but a lot of people in the offseason were saying, oh, you only are drafting Paris Campbell for the first couple weeks until Wandale comes back and takes that job. But Paris Campbell is just to score you points in weeks one through four. Do you really want Paris Campbell? And my goodness, is that turning out to be like, who, who had the crystal ball to see that one? Because that is like as bang on as you can be with analysis. So bravo to, to people making that call. I drafted a lot of Wandale in the off season. And then I, I pulled back through like the entire middle of the summer. Cause there was just like crickets. There was no noise. And then at the end of the right. summer, we, didn't we got all the, nothing. I, dude, if man, I just needed like a thread, just a shred of reason to be optimistic in Wandale. And I probably would have had like 40, 50% cause I loved the player. And I thought the right. whole receiving core was absolute just waste. And uh, man, it it would have been would have been correct, but yeah, didn't didn't get the signal I needed to feel confident enough in his recovery. But uh, not to not to linger too long on Wandale, he's definitely an interesting one for me. Did pop up on the injury report this week. Think it's more uh, just being careful with his surgically repaired knee than anything, but definitely worth watching. Uh, this one, I mean, if you're drafting basketball teams this summer, uh, Tyquan Thornton maybe has a special place in your heart, but he does show up on the chart here. He did get, I believe two targets this last week, uh, not producing anything with them, but here's the thing. The Patriots offense is horrific. They're not necessarily horrific because of Mac Jones. Now Mac Jones looks bad. All the, all the Mac Jones stuff looks bad right now, but I don't think you can fairly evaluate a quarterback with the weapons that, are running out there for Mac Jones. So this week, if you haven't seen Hunter Henry looks like he might miss this week. And so the Patriots are down to Kendrick Bourne is like the only true NFL player that catches passes for them other than Mike Gesicki. So it's like Kendrick Bourne, Mike Gesicki and Taekwon. So like, I kind of think that you might end up with a better performance than expected from the Patriots this week because the coaching staff making decisions of who to put on the field can finally get the fuck out of their way and play their best players and play Kendrick Bourne and Tyquan Thornton and Mike Gesicki, 
who I would say are three of their four best ca pass catchers with the fourth best being Hunter Henry. Um, Cause all the rest of these guys are just like, I mean, like maybe Demario Douglas or, or, you know, Kayshawn Bouti uh, can work in there. I mean, I, I think we don't have enough sample to know for sure how those guys stack up, but like, there's one thing I know for sure. It's not doo-doo shit poopster and it's not the dusty ghost of Devonte Parker who like, I would love it if Devonte Parker was like four years younger, he'd be the best receiver on this team. You know, not that that's saying a ton, but like, dude, there's just nothing out there. And so I'm optimistic that we might get a shakeup in the Patriots offense where it's like, we put different guys on the field and it turns out the other guys we had been playing were so bad that these guys who also are not good are good enough that it's like we're kind of productive as an offense. So that's so Pike one, he did get 50 run 50% of the routes last week. So obviously as he works his way back from injury, would would like to see that come up. Um definitely excited to see what he can do with some more opportunity. Um uh, another guy that I think is worth talking about is uh, Jackson Smith in, in Jigba, who came out of the bye week, and his um his route his route rate is now above eighty percent. He didn't um he didn't do any eighty one percent was his route share, didn't do anything with it, um, but very encouraged by that, and and given his his qual his resume in college, draft capital, all all, all that sort of stuff would look for him to uh hopefully start he, he definitely he now has the opportunity to produce more in line with what we were hoping for in, in uh during drop season yeah absolutely and i'm sure everyone's seen this clip on twitter that's circulating now of the play where jsn torches his man he it's like literally nothing but green grass and uh he's he's wide open and gino just doesn't see him gino scrambles for a first down instead of hitting JSN for a nice 30 yard touchdown. So, and Pete Carroll acknowledged that in the post game press conference. So yeah, definitely bullish signs for JSN. I mean, quite, quite possibly like one of the best by low candidates you'll ever get, not from like a, Oh, this guy has already produced and we know he's good, but we have a pretty good idea just based on his college resume that this, this is a, potentially elite receiver in the NFL and he's done nothing so far that would would get on the radar of anyone except people that are sick and drafting lots of best ball teams and paying close attention to this stuff so if you're in a home league and JSN is out like there's a strong chance he's on waivers you know a lot of people dropped him over the bye week he hasn't done anything I mean you could probably if if you have a manager in your league that doesn't know what they have in JSN um, the way I would try and get it is you don't trade for JSN, you trade for a different piece and you add JSN as like a, a you do a two for two and JSN is just like a random throw in, you know, like you, you say nothing about him. You just, you negotiate the trade for the the first guy and then you throw in JSN and you, you try and pick up a W that way. But yeah, definitely interesting. Um, my, one of my highest drafted receivers across all platforms. So uh, my JSN bags are very optimistic, and I, I try I try really hard not to let my own biases and like what would benefit me impact my analysis on this stuff. And so I was, you know, I was 
like pessimistic ish about JSN, like still leaving mm -hmm. a light on for him going into this week. But we like this is the kind of sick, this is what you're looking for. Like when you're looking for signs to become more optimistic about a guy or try and get ahead of a breakout, like these are the things you look for. And so that's that's why we feel the way we feel about JSN. It's not just because Drico and I both have fat bags of JSN, because we do. Um, <laughs> but right, that's that's certainly a factor. But it's not if if it if, if it weren't real signs, would just would would be working to make sure that if we weren't getting anything, okay, we 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 got it. We got it. RIP. Yeah. For, first and for foremost, for we're, we're trying to deliver you good actionable analysis. We're not just out here trying to bag defend, but you know, when, when the actionable analysis does align with defending our bags, it's very sweet. <laughs> okay. I am. Um, is there anybody else that you'd like to talk with? Uh, sorry, anybody else would you like to talk, talk about? I, I think we're good. Andrew in the chat said Kendrick Bourne has been pretty good. And yeah, he has. Bourne's, Bourne's been great. It's one guy that I wish that I had drafted more of in best ball season. I got onto him and, and hammered him a good bit after I stopped drafting Taekwon. And I'm really, really pleased with how the thesis played out there and how I was able to get onto the correct guy. Um, just wish that I had done it a little earlier. But uh, anyway, yeah, no, no one else on this chart. Um, but... For those of you that made it through, we almost hit our sub two hour mark this week. Um, I'm sure next week feels like the week, Draco. I think think we might be able to get a sub two hours here next week. Um, a tight 120. Yes, yes. But thank you guys for joining us. Uh, we'll be back with you next Tuesday at our regularly scheduled time. Um, and until then, good luck this week. And uh, may your JSN bags and your uh, Jamison Williams bags flourish this week. Thanks for joining us this week, everyone. And, and like uh, Sack said, see you next Tuesday.